Dr. Krauss back where he belongs back there. Um, we need to uh, pray. Here's what we'd like to do to start today is that if anybody has anything where you've said, wow, this from the first, I don't know what we've been, 10, 11 weeks. We've had seven weeks of bad news. I know that for sure. Um, if there's anything that's kind of caught you, struck you from this part of Romans, would love to hear from you. Grant and uh, Josh have some um, some things that kind of, just what is your main takeaway from the first three months? Um, love to hear that uh, to start things off today. Let me pray for us, uh, and then Grant, I want to hear what you, um, what's hit you especially um, since, we, since we began the new year. So let's pray. Father, what a great joy to uh, finally get to some good news uh, today. But now, a righteousness um, from God, of God, has been revealed. And we can't wait to dive in um, to the gospel. Lord, it truly could be that this is the uh, most incredible, most important, um, most impactful paragraph ever written in uh, the history of man. And, and Lord, we don't know that that's true, but we do know that it is one that has thrilled our soul, um, one that has um, converted many. Um, and Lord, we pray today that you would do the surgery on our heart um, from that double-edged sword, your word, that only you can do um, to um, justify anyone who is now living in condemnation, and to um, give us a greater um, freedom to live this life in a manner worthy of the gospel than we've ever had before, that you would sanctify us by truth. Your word is truth. So grateful for uh, this opportunity uh, to feast on this incredible book and this incredible passage, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Grant? Yeah, I would say... You know, as you asked me about this, maybe three things that have stood out to me. Um, the first would be I have enjoyed sort of rebuilding my theology along with Paul, just sort of starting from nothing, and then as we're going through all these things, just repacking everything back in as Paul explains it in Scripture. I think before I had a lot of what I believed just conglomerated from, you know, Reformed system. I think it's a great system, but just seeing it coming from the text as Paul like explicitly states the sovereignty of God, the utter sinfulness, depravity of man, that has been really good for me to build, mm -hmm. build along with him. And then before when I would read Romans, I would read maybe, you know, if I needed encouragement, I would go to Romans 8. If I wanted to understand more about God's sovereignty, I'd jump to Romans 9 or about, you know, the, the nature of works and sanctification, uh, jump to Romans 6. Um, but they were always isolated to one another, and they would be good. I could get things from them, um, but a lot of it seemed abstract. And now that I'm going through, I see uh, the way that one speaks to chapter th chapter one speaks to chapter three, and the way chapter three Paul brings up important topics that he comes back to in chapter nine. Continuation mm -hmm. of three, same thing with three in chapter six, and then that informs uh, chapter seven and eight. And, and going forward, um, and then the other thing would be, second thing would be the uh, that it's always been by faith, that salvation has always been by faith, that Paul highlights that the Old Testament witnessed it, we'll talk about that some today, and that Abraham was saved by faith, it wasn't by any works that he did, it wasn't a different salvation 
uh, through the covenants. It was always by faith in Christ, either pre-Christ or post-Christ. That has been really good to finally start to uh, put some edges around that uh, in understanding. And then the third thing that I've noticed is um, Paul is unashamed to state almost side by side in, in prominence that salvation is apart from works. It's not by merit. It's by blood. It's by Christ's work on the cross. But then he also, he opens the book with um, wanting to bring about the obedience of the faith for the sake of his name among hmm. the nations. And then he closes the book with um, command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. So he's unashamed with putting the necessity of good works and sanctification right alongside the, that there's no works in salvation and justification. I thought that was pretty interesting. Ooh, that's fantastic. Josh, hard to top that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no doubt about <laughs> yeah. it. So. It it's um, it has been really fun teaching, trying to teach Romans alongside you guys, and I, I feel like I learn so much from both of you and the commentaries every week. And I think takeaways there have been a lot for me, D- different verses here and there that have just stood out to me and maybe grabbed my attention and are kind of just still floating around in the back of my mind. Uh, I think that's probably how Scripture works for a lot of you guys too. It it transformed the mind as we as we think about it and memorize it and store it up I think you know going back to chapter one for me there were some takeaways with uh, this verse uh, verse 21 so Paul of course talking about the pagans here talking about those that didn't have God's law chapter 1 verse 21 for although they knew God they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him and I think I realized that is a big deal to God, not giving thanks to Him, not honoring Him is a huge deal, and it's one of the reasons why um, the the unrighteous are, are are under God's wrath, under His present wrath, and that's one reason why God gives them over to their own desires. So um, thankfulness to God, honoring Him in, in in all of the little things in life and all the big things is hugely hugely important. Um, so, I, I mean, that's just been good for me to think on and, and sanctifying, as I'm sure it's been for you guys, too. Um, I also think just Romans 1 as a whole, from, from verse 18 all the way to 32, is a really apt commentary for our times. Mm. If, if you think about an x-ray on our culture, there are many complexities for, for why we're kind of in the cultural moment that we're in, but I don't think you can find a better description of what's going on in our world than Romans 1. God, God giving people over to their own desires, the, um, the creator-creature distinction being blurred. Uh, I was reading one author who talked about when you, when you blur or when you confuse the creator-creature distinction, all other lesser boundaries are confused. And I think we see a lot of other categories, especially like gender, Today, there's a lot of confusion about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. But those, I think, are downstream from rebellion against God, from confusing the creator-creature distinction. Um, That was um, Peter Jones in his book, The Other Worldview, talks about that idea at length. Um, That's been really, really insightful, too, just as I've studied. But then maybe uh, looking at the book as a whole... Paul, in, in one, 118 to 3, you know, everything that we've covered up to this point through 320, he labors to show the bad news. And he 
paints a clear picture of who we are and what we are outside of Christ. And that is vital to our gospel proclamation, I think, because it has paved the way for what we're about to go through with justification, with redemption, with propitiation, and the righteousness of God. Why we need the righteousness of God. We've got to know who we are and what we are outside of Christ. And we're rightfully deserving His wrath. And uh, so I think just our study so far has maybe clarified or even tightened that in my mind as the gospel being good news about God giving his righteousness through Christ to um, undeserving sinners like ourselves through faith. We tap into that righteousness through faith, which I think we'll get more into today. But um, I think ultimately our, our need is to stand right before God. You know, the gospel, the, the good news that we herald and proclaim and cherish is inseparable from God's righteousness through Christ so I think that has been really good for me. Can I read this quote real quick? I love it. From uh, This was in one of the commentaries, just maybe furthering that point a little bit. I thought this was really good. Christians should ask themselves to what extent their evangelism is faithful to the message. So often we present Christianity to people as a satisfying and fulfilling way to live and invite them to try it out for themselves. If, however, Paul's teaching is true, we are not in the business of presenting lifestyle options. We need to wake people up to the fact that their creator is rightly angry with them for the way they treat him and that they are powerless to save themselves. Only with such understanding will the good news of God's rescue plan rightly make sense. Mm. I thought that quote just captured Paul's theology in one all the way up to three leading into justification we're talking about a legal transaction before god is ultimately our our deepest need as uh as people on this world so yeah oh josh so good yeah alan's helped me with a hundred things scripturally but one of those is never to leave out the wrath of god never that's a huge part of that. How many times have we seen it in one eighteen and or one twenty maybe, and then two one and to the Jew and to the Gentile? Anybody else where you would say what kind of has stood out? And as we're uh, almost to the end of March somehow already. Yeah, Jerry. Just in uh, Romans one where it mentions God gave them over. Oh yes, three times. And it's just like we deserve that. We actually deserve to be given over. Yeah. And that that's what we rightfully deserve, but that's not what he gave us. All right. He he gave us we deserve curses, but he gave us a blessing. Isn't that great? Nah, it's so good. Yeah. Wow, Jerry, so good there. 24, 26, 28. He gave them over to their sin and he let sin run its course. Boy, don't we see that, Josh? Gave us a good uh I, I think a uh, a good word that chapter one is a pretty good um picture of our society today and that's what you see you see as god gave them over really good jerry what else i remember last week uh it was mentioned that uh turning away from god is basically where other sin comes from uh Turning away from God, another term for that, I'd say, would be 
idolatry. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember in September 2013, there was a revival at Moons Grove Baptist Church, and the speaker was Mark McAndrew. I attended that revival because I know Mark. Uh, one time during that revival, he said that, come to think of it, all sin flows out of idolatry. Mm. Love it. Nine year ago, a quote from Mark McAndrew from Jesse. That's so, that's so good. That's a good memory. Good. I'm happy to remember what Grant said nine minutes ago. <laughs> Me too. So, good stuff. Yeah. Thomas, what's hit you? Um, one verse that's always struck me is uh, John 3.18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed um, in the name of the only Son of God. And I just think um, Paul just does a really great job in Romans of explaining exactly why we're condemned. Yeah. Why, doesn't he? <laughs> And thoroughly. When, that struck me when Grant was talking here. How linear is this argument, right? And logical. And, it, and it's thorough. thorough. Yeah, that's really good. Jonathan Edwards, when you get a chance to read Edwards, he's always very thorough. To where at the end, you are pinned in a corner, and you're like, there's nowhere I can go but hardly but to just believe this. Even if I didn't believe it before I started. Carter, what's, what would you say is... Hit the spot. Probably seeing that Paul leaves no excuse for anyone. So the Gentiles, they don't have the law, but Paul says clearly that you, there's no law for you. Yeah. And even those who have, uh, like, um, they obtain the law and they are entrusted with God's word, they're without excuse. So basically what Paul does is not only leaves no excuse for our sin, but he leaves no excuse not to accept Christ mm. in, in the future chapters. Mm. Wow, Carter. Yeah, well said. No uh, excuse um, for anyone. We see that again a couple times. And uh, no excuse to not race toward Jesus. So good. That That has hit me. Uh, Josh has talked about this a couple times too. The unbeliever, I have been struck by the, in these last three months, knows far more than than I normally have considered them knowing. They, uh, from verse, um, and you might remember 18, 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them in chapter 1 because God has shown it to them. Um, and then verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. So they not only know God's righteous decree, but they also know that through that because of that they deserve to die that is that's fascinating to me that 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 they know that much and i think we need to come to evangelism with that in mind that the unbeliever really does know that and we need to start there um with that with them on that anything else okay uh verse what is that 16 
isn't that great? Yeah. We'll definitely come to that even more crazy in chapter 10, where uh, it, by faith, that's where faith comes from. Faith from, comes from hearing the, hearing the word. Yeah. I love it. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring, bring the good news. And, and I love what you said there. There's no pressure. There really isn't. It's not our job to save people. <clears throat> That people are justified. It's just our job to remember those three things in chapter one. Quasi mentioned that we're not ashamed of the gospel. Look at verse 14 and 15. Three in a row here. I think Stott points this out. Um, verse 14. I am under obligation to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise um, and to the foolish. So we're obligated to preach the gospel. Nobody has a monopoly on the gospel. It's not ours to keep. It's ours to share. It's ours to give. I love that. It, we're eager to preach. Look at verse 15. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And is that you today? Are you eager to go find somebody to talk to? Aquasi certainly uh, models that very well for us. We need to be eager to, to teach, to preach the gospel. And then 16. We're not ashamed. It's the power of God. It's God uses the gospel. What else? Anybody else has something hit the spot? Let's go to chapter 3. Um, and today, getting to the good news, but there's a piece or two left. Chapter 3, verse uh, 19 is uh, about where we left off there. Josh, would you read 19 and 20? Sure. Verse 19, Now we know that what, whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Good. Anything on the yellow sheets? About 19 and 20, I'm dying to know what those say. <laughs> there is not much on the yellow sheets for 19 and 20, but I can say this. Um, I was going back through listening to maybe Steve Lawson, and he kind of categorized 9 through 20 like this, and I thought this was a, a different kind of formulation. But verse 9, going back to last week, is the charge, he says, what then are Jews better off? No, not at all. We're charged that all Jews and Greeks are under sin. So that's the the charge, that all are under sin. And then 10 through 18, you'll recall, are those Old Testament quotations. Paul marshalling the evidence from across the Old Testament um, to, to establish his case. So that, that being the case against, and then 19 and 20, was the verdict and subsequent condemnation. So 19 and 20, here was the verdict through the law, knowledge of sin, but every mouth stopped and the whole world is accountable and no human being justified in his sight. That being the verdict. And um, yeah, I, th I think this, we, we talked about a little bit last week, but but this is not, I mean, I think Paul goes through all those verses and sums it up with 19 and 20 to establish that this is ultimately God's case. It's God's charge. This is not something Paul is inventing or making up or just fabricating as another teacher presenting a new idea. This is ultimately the God's 
um, God's plan and part of what, how he's judging human beings. And so I think the point he makes here about the law is that um, through the law comes knowledge of sin there at the very end. And Paul's teaching here is to say that the law is kind of like a mirror. So you, you know how a mirror works. You go look into it, and it reveals the impurities. It reveals what's there. If you've got something in your teeth or if you've got something you need to change, the mirror is going to show that. It's going to reveal what's there. And that's how the law in, in the Scripture is used. The law is, is not the issue. It's the law that reveals our sin. The sin is the issue. Um, <clears throat> and we ultimately don't measure up to the law's demands. So I that, love that's the yellow paper. No, I love it. That's good stuff. And the mirror never fixes you, does it? The mirror just shows you the issue. But and, and that's there to me the law. The law is the thermometer, not the medicine. The law just sticks. You might have been. I, when I was trying to get sick, so I didn't have to go to school. I would like put the thermometer up by the light or put you know so try to fool mom try to did he do that and then she says oh 108 go to school right is what <laughs> she would say or i would try to get friction with my tongue and do like see if you can get it up there a little bit where it belongs but it never the thermometer in the mouth never fixed anybody right leah as a nurse right so there you go that you need to raise to the gospel to be fixed. Jesus is the only one that fixes you. Dr. Law and Dr. Grace, if you would look up Lester Roloff, we are going way back to Texas. Do you know him? Yeah. Have you read Dr. Law and Dr. Grace? It's good, isn't it? Oh, yeah. We went and, boy, that is a long time ago. Corpus Christi, I think. But uh, Dr. Lester Roloff, you look him up and read Dr. Law and Dr. Grace. Really a good little analogy and we may talk about that jerry i just know this is something i want to think about more i mean we've been going through romans one through three and we hear a whole lot of bad news but there's actually like a little sliver of good news in romans two of all places verse four or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that god's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance isn't that good yeah yeah no it's not he sneaks some in there doesn't he Mm -hmm. yeah and now that we're doing the good news, he sneaks some bad news in. Like 323, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Once he's in the good news for two verses, he comes right back. You know, it's like, oh, no, no, don't forget. Right? Don't forget there. So, I, I, no, I think you're right in, in just the brilliance of how, how that's written. So, thank you for the mirror uh, part there, Josh. The, the unbeliever, I love the way, uh, and I don't remember who put this like this. The unbeliever's mouth is closed, verse 19. Right? They have nothing to say. Oh, does it remind? I think it would be worth it. Turn to Job chapter 40. Thomas, you were talking about. Didn't she get wild by 38 to 42 the other day? Wasn't that? Uh, yeah. yeah, it's so good. Chapter 41 to 5. It brings a smile when you hear Job, although we're just all the same. Uh, and the Lord said to Job, remember this is after Job has complained. And God has uh, braced herself like a man. You'll answer me. Right? And Job does not answer him. I love this. Chapter 40, verse 1. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Let's just stop one second and say, When we're tempted to complain this week, and we will be, do not complain. 
That's showing God that you're saying, God, let me show you, let me tell you how things should be. When I complain about the weather, when I complain about supper, when I complain about my students, when I complain about whatever it is, or you, that's just telling God that, hmm, I know a little better than you, right? God's bringing about the perfect circumstances, and he did for Job, and Job wasn't very happy about it, but listen to what God says. Job answers the Lord and said, behold, I am of small account. I love that. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. Job says, I'm, I'm done talking. I should have been done talking a while ago, but now I'm for sure done. Once God showed him um, who he really was. And so the unbeliever's mouth are closed, but going back to Quasi's point, our mouth should be open as believers. We should be open telling people the gospel, right? They are, and, and Jerry, to your point, um, they have now clearly, it's been very clear that um, the unbeliever has no place to go. That They have thoroughly made that, made that argument, that's for sure. So this is a great way to see um, how we're prepared for the gospel that's coming up, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Nobody will be. He's going to come to this at the end of chapter 5 again. And uh, like Grant said, he comes to these things over and over and over in different chapters. And it's all going to get tied together. And I think that's the joy of doing a study like this for a year is where we start making the connections. Connect all the parts. Since... Through the law comes knowledge of sin. So the law, I read uh, someone say, I thought this was good, is like a straight edge. You hold the law up beside you and say, ooh, here's where we're off. It just shows us our sin. Okay? It's never was intended to fix us. Grant mentioned that. Uh, salvation's always been by faith. And faith alone, and he will go to great measures to prove that in chapter 4 with Abraham, with David. Okay, so that's uh, coming um, certainly in future weeks here. And so this is, uh, I, I love, li listen to Luther. The principal point of the law is to make men not better, but worse. That is to say, it shows them their sin. That by the knowledge thereof, they may be humbled, terrified, bruised and broken and by this means may be driven to seek grace and come to the blessed seed our lord jesus that makes sense so the law doesn't ever fix us it's not intended to and even as believers isn't this true that as we read the bible all of those commands we're like oh love the lord your god with all your heart and soul and mind and strength love others as yourself and you say well i'm falling short here I don't do that as I ought, the sin of omission sometimes. Be joyful always. How many of us can say we did that all week? Give thanks in all circumstances. Pray without ceasing. I'm like, ooh, those are things to continue to grow in. Finally, but now. Josh or Grant, those are two really encouraging words. We're finally there. Yeah, finally at the uh, 
the most important paragraph in not just the English language, but in any language ever written, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Where do you get from go from there for us? Uh, I'll just maybe make a few comments, but this. Well, but now, th okay, this I think is the ringing forth. Finally, we're getting to some good news. So I, I think this is the, the turning point of the letter here from everything that we've read. This now is Paul launching into the glorious gospel, which he'll unpack, uh, you know, 21 to 26. It's almost like he starts to get going and starts to explain things uh, as he's going. And I, this week and next week are going to be really, really exciting, I think, for us. Yeah, I think... The but now and the but gods are always a great spot to be in Scripture. I know there's another one in Ephesians. I don't know about other places if y'all have any in mind. But they're always a transitioning point. And I think this one is uh, it's transitioning in his argument, but also in redemptive history. Like the mm -hmm. law, but but now new covenant. Uh, there's a righteousness apart from the law. Um, so maybe I can just read it. <clears throat> Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, it's hard to stop there. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> so I think um, the question here is what, Jerry, you were getting at. Um, We've just seen that no person can be justified through the works of the law. And so the, the question is, then how can man be right before God? That's the question uh, Job had in Job 25.4, coming back to Job. How then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? So that's the question that we get. When we get through all of 1 through 3, we see you know, none of us are, are without excuse and there's no hope through the law of being righteous before God. We can't do it. Like you highlighted all the things that are required of us. We just don't have, we're not able to do it. And so therefore, how can we stand before a holy God? What what hope is there? And so Paul brings it now that there is a righteousness of God that has been manifested or displayed apart from the law, separate from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Um, this is coming back to what we discussed in chapter 1, verses 17 the sort of the thesis of Paul's argument where we talked about a righteousness from God. And Doriani sort of pointed this out to me that Paul follows the pattern of Scripture from Genesis onward. The message of grace both precedes and follows the message of sin and guilt. Thus Romans 1, 16 and 17, and chapter 3, verses 21 through 22, bookend the doctrine of sin. So you have the grace found, righteousness from God in chapter 1, all the bad news, grace, righteousness in God at the end of it. That, I thought, was really good. And it's always been of God. We're getting to the same thing, that this righteousness is not just the um, attribute of God. It's a free gift. We discussed it last time here. In, uh, we're justified by His grace as a gift, um, the righteousness of God through faith. In Philippians, it's described as a righteousness from God. It's something, a status given to believers because we obviously don't have a righteousness of our own that we can bring before God, and so he provides it for us through, through Christ's atoning sacrifice. Um, but it's not separate from the law. I mean, it's separate from the law, but it's, it's been borne witness by the law and the prophets. I think the whole... Um, MacArthur says the whole Old Testament was pointing towards salvation by faith in Christ and that um, 
there's no hope found in the law. It's just pointing out, you know, the mirror that, that we can't be saved through doing uh, works of the law. And so, uh, born witness by the law and the prophets. That, I think, is just some examples. Um, well, we'll get to Abraham in chapter 4. I think that's a huge example that Paul brings back for us and just gives us a rundown of it in its entirety of how it's always been by faith. But some other ones, um, Genesis 3.15. Ms. Elizabeth, I know you like that one, the first gospel, um, where it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. If that's speaking of Christ coming and, and destroying Satan. I think... Uh, I don't want to overemphasize this, but I think the Passover speaks to it, the, re- the redemption from bondage in Egypt, uh, the blood of bulls and goats not being able to take away sin, all of the promises of the prophets, Jeremiah, Micah, Isaiah, Zechariah, the hall of faith in Hebrews where he highlights how it's always been by faith for all of, all of those patriarchs and all of those remarkable men and women of faith. Um, Abraham in chapter 4, salvation has always been by faith, and this has all been showing that salvation would come by faith through a Savior that God would provide. This has now been manifested clearly in redemptive history in His Son, God in the flesh. And so God provided the sacrificial lamb that the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. And so there was a once and for all sacrifice where Christ now sits down at the right hand of God. No more sacrifices are needed because His blood actually does atone for our sin. Oh, wow. That's so good. That's exciting. We're in Judges with the six graders, that, that, and we're gay. The same cycle they go through, right? They they sin. Uh, God sends a foreign army to pummel them. They get pummeled. They cry out to God. It takes them 40 years sometime. I'm like, why don't you cry out in 40 days? They get pummeled by the Philistines 40 years, right? They cry out to God. God sends them a judge, right? God sends them a judge. What happens? They sort of get their act together. The judge dies. Start right over again. Over and over the cycle. But we do not, we have a living Savior. We have a judge now, a king. The last verse in um, Judges is there was no king in Israel. So guess what? Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. We have a king. We have a king who's not going to die. Right? And so you're exactly right. All through the Old Testament. So when you see this here, that this is what the prophets um, bore witness to, and the law and the prophets bear witness to this, this righteousness of God, having a right standing. When you see righteousness here, 60 times, right? That we have a form of that in Romans. The righteousness, um, if you count justification as to be declared righteous. So 60 times or so in Romans we see this, and uh, I think maybe one of you guys pointed this out last week, where did he start in verse 9? None is righteous, no, not one. We And so the whole question of Romans is, how do I become right with God? It certainly isn't through the law. It certainly isn't through my actions. So there's got to be a different way, and that's what he's starting with in 21 and 22. But now, Josh. Yeah, so we've Paul's established that uh, God is going to judge sin. He's an impartial judge. The Gentiles and the Jews will be judged, and so everyone's deserving of condemnation. So the but now comes in right there. And so if you were a first century reader of this letter, and there's no heading there to break it up, you, I think, would have been sitting on the edge of the seat. What is Paul saying here? What is he getting at here? The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, 
Uh, what does that mean? And I, I think the burning question here is, as you guys mentioned, how can God be holy and just, but also gracious and merciful? How can he acquit sinners and forgive sin, but not just wink at evil? Mm-hmm. How can he maintain his character, but also his grace be demonstrated? And that question is answered here in this section. And so... Um, the righteousness of God is extremely good news. I think Paul here is, when he uses that phrase, we've hit on it before, but um, it's God who's providing. It's God who is the one that's come up with a solution. We face his wrath because of our unrighteousness, and he provides a remedy. He provides a, a righteous substitute. And uh, it's been manifested, so it actually happened in space-time history. This was a real event we're talking about in history. Jesus came to this earth, and um, it, uh, I guess, you know, if we ask, what is the righteousness of God? Some, um, one of the commentators pointed out that this is courtroom language. When you hear that phrase, that's where we go to. We think of uh, courtroom language, righteousness, justification, in those family of words. We're thinking about a, a courtroom. We're talking about a judicial declaration. We're talking about a status change. And uh, it, it's more than pardon, uh, but it, it's it's clearing our name that we are we are not guilty, and it comes through the person and work of Christ. I think we're going to see that now. It's, we've had seven weeks of bad news. We have now seven or eight weeks of about justification because it's starting here in three twenty one and it goes till five twenty one, and he's going to be just as thorough to say how thorough is justification. And we're going to get this idea, I'm convinced of it, as we travel through these next about two months of how thorough justification is. Positionally, right? Practically, we still are not righteous in that we still commit sin. But positionally, we have had our sins washed as far as the east is from the west. When he sees... uh, us, he sees us through the blood of Christ. That was, that is perfect. And you say that's so amazing because I know enough about my own sin to say I am not righteous, but we have been declared such. And that is just that justification, which we'll start camping on really next week when we get to uh, to verse twenty four. Um, but verse twenty two, um, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on righteousness of God. Josh, you mentioned it. This righteousness of God only comes from God. There's nowhere else to get it. Right? And we wouldn't know how to get it. We wouldn't know anything we know about God has been revealed to us through two ways, right? General revelation that we can see in the great out of doors, or the Bible. And what the Holy Spirit reveals to us from special revelation. A specific revelation that we get right from Scripture. And here we see that this righteousness of God, it only comes from him. And this is the same way. There's no distinction. He comes to remind us again. This is the way the Gentiles are saved. This is the way the Jews are saved. This is the way we're all saved. Right? Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 22 and 23. Guys, what do you have there? Let you take it first. Okay. Uh, I don't know that I have really anything to add except in verse 22 you see that 
the focus uh, is on God, but also on in Jesus Christ. So the righteousness of God uh, through faith, it's accessed through faith in a specific person, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. The righteousness only comes through one person, that's Jesus. I thought that yeah. was... Grant, really could you read 16 and 17 in chapter 1? Yeah. You talked about how we have bookends here. And, uh, and I find this fascinating, didn't really realize or think about this before uh, the, the last three months here, that 16 and 17 show the theme of the whole book, which you would say would be righteousness from God, right? But it only is through faith in Christ. Right. If you could call that kind of a, a sub-theme, maybe. Yeah, both, both speak to God's righteousness, both allude to the Old Testament, and both show it's received by faith in Jesus, huh. both of these passages. So sixteen seventeen, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, uh, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Actually, so it didn't mention Jesus here, so it's more specific in the next one. Yeah. But it did mention Jews and Gentiles Jews again, and Gentiles, too, didn't it? Yeah, and it alludes to the Old Testament. Um, to everyone believes, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, <clears throat> as it is written, the righteous live by faith. And so he alludes back to the Old Testament that this has always been the way, just as he did in yeah. chapter 3. Good. Hebrews uh, 11, of course, helps us to done with faith, right? Hebrews 11, 1, faith being sure of what you hope for and certain what you do not see. Okay, so faith isn't something that we see it's something that is unseen we're to live by faith and not by sight fix your eyes not on what's seen but on what's unseen what seems temporary what's unseen is eternal that's a uh, a trick in it to fix our eyes not on what we see because what do we do with our eyes we see with our eyes but we live by faith and not by sight well that's going to be huge this week right because there's going to be some crazy stuff that happens in our life and if we're living by sight, if we're letting our circumstances dictate our joy, we're missing it. This is by faith. This is by faith in Christ. Salvation is. Sanctification is. It's always back to Jesus with Paul. It's always going to be back to him. And it should be with us, Josh. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the word faith. Can I just talk about the word faith for Absolutely. just a minute or two? Um, I just find it so helpful to get some definitional clarity with the words that we use, so we're not, so we're understanding what we're talking about with every word. And to that end, I've found that Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones is so good. He's got a, a number of sermons. I don't remember how many hundreds on the Book of Romans, but in this section, he's got a sermon almost on every phrase. So he talks about faith in Christ, uh, what what the, the nature of true faith, and he makes the point that faith is like an instrument. Okay, it's like an instrument. It's not the cause, but it's like a straw. It's the channel by which righteousness is given. And uh, faith is, is not a work, and faith is only as good as the object that it rests in. So our object of faith, of course, being Christ, someone that's ultimately and totally trustworthy, dependable, and we can bank on his work on, on our behalf. Um, he also gives three elements of faith, three elements. And the first one is a knowledge of the truth or an awareness of it, that, that there is a cognitive understanding or awareness of the truth. The second element of faith, he says, is to have a, an, a mental assent to it or uh, a recognition that it is true, granting that it is uh, the truth. And then this third element 
each one has to be there for, for true faith is a, a trust in it, a committal to it, a banking on Christ, a reliance on him. And, and really all three have to be there for true faith to exist, uh, ultimately in Jesus Christ for our salvation. Um, when I was in college, I was in a campus ministry called Campus Outreach. And one of the analogies they used to teach us about faith is this, they used to tell this story about a tightrope walker. So just imagine a guy who's strung a tightrope across Tallulah Gorge. And he's got a crowd there, and he asks the crowd if they think he can walk the tightrope successfully there and back. And there's some naysayers in the crowd, and they're not so sure. And he walks the tightrope there and makes it all the way back. Then he breaks out his wheelbarrow up on the side of Tallulah Gorge, and ask the crowd if they think he can make it across with his wheelbarrow. You got some people that say yes. The crowd's chanting him on, a few naysayers in there. But he successfully walks the wheelbarrow across the tightrope there and back. And then he comes back the final time, asks the crowd again if they think he can do the wheelbarrow there and across. And everyone in the crowd says yes. And then he asks who is willing to get in the wheelbarrow and go across with them. I think just getting into the distinction of true faith is ultimately banking on, uh, you know, it, back to the scriptures, in who Christ is and what he has done, and that it is for us, and that he did do what he said he would do, and he accomplished our salvation. <clears throat> really good. Remember Hebrews eleven six. without faith it's impossible to please God. You must believe that he exists, number one, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so it's by faith. Wouldn't you say, Josh, that that word, you reminded me of believe there. Because to believe at the end of where? 22, middle of 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So this isn't just the same believe as I believe in whatever, George Washington. Right? Because I do believe that he probably was a guy. There's a lot of evidence that he was around. But this is different. Okay? This is different. This is, like you said, an ascent, a trust in. The demons believe in Jesus, right? And they shudder. But they don't have a trust in Jesus. They don't cling to him. So where we talk believe here, this is not, Paul is never going to fall into an easy believism. That we will find if we go to UGA campus and ask, well, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Now, this is a different way. This is a trust in him, a cling to him. Put your hope in him. Get in the wheelbarrow. I think that's the, that's the idea. Any final thoughts? Grant, will you pray um, next week? Justification, redemption, propitiation should be the next 20 weeks to get through all three of those. We will try to go to, to work on those three. Justification, redemption, oh, grace, don't forget grace, and propitiation. Oh, just incredible doctrines. Grant, how about praying for us? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we get to spend in Romans. I pray that the words of your scripture would be burned into our heart and that our understanding of them would be strengthened by your spirit, Father, and that we would be able to live differently in light of that understanding. Father, help us to 
um, come to know your gospel more fully, what it means to be righteous in your sight through your son Jesus, what it means to be justified and declared right in front of you in your courtroom, and Father, to understand the atoning sacrifice and the wrath that was absorbed for us on the cross through Jesus Christ when he um, took on all the sin of those that would believe. And Father, I thank you for that truth, and I pray that we would never forget it and depart from it, but that we would treasure it um, from first to last, Father, until we come home to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you get a chance, camp on those, read them, and uh, your um, maybe uh, Bible study notes, Doriani, Stott, uh, 24 through 26 next week. Lord willing. Thank you.